Hello again, and welcome to American Riviera Bank's Regional Pulse. This is Laurel Sykes, the Chief Compliance and Risk Officer for the bank. Um, and as we talked about last time around, April is National Financial Literacy Month. Um, the last podcast that we did in this two-part series was focused on the educational system as a whole and how COVID has impacted um, the needs of our students. And today we're going to be discussing some um, more of the financial literacy challenges and efforts taking place here on the Central Coast. A uh, reminder that my guests here today are Rob Schiff, longtime educator and AVID coordinator with the Santa Barbara School District. We also have Chelsea Duffy, Executive Director at Partners in Education, and Melinda Cabrera, Director of Strategic Partnerships at United Way of Santa Barbara. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we talked last time a little bit about um, the challenges that we're seeing and some of the challenges our teachers are facing having to teach in this virtual, then hybrid environment. Um, as part of that curriculum, is financial literacy currently taught at schools here in California? And Rob, maybe we start with you on this. Uh, yeah, it's really not a part of the California standards. Um, so individual teachers can choose to do what they want. So I, I kind of noticed, I don't know how many years ago, that they were just lacking kind of basic financial knowledge, like what's a credit card? Why establish credit? Um, why would you ever buy a home? All these different things that they just really didn't seem to have a a grasp on. So I kind of developed my own little unit on it um, and passed that along to our other AVID teachers. Um, and I'm by no means an expert, but I'm an example of my parents both had master's degrees. It was mm -hmm. never discussed in my family that I was going to get at the very least a bachelor's degree. Um, my dad was very good about teaching me the importance of and how to establish credit and why homeownership is a good idea and how to establish wealth. Uh, and so I think the assumption is often that, other, that everyone's like me and that everyone gets that at home. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the families in, in our program, they, they've just not had the opportunity to do that. So they don't have that knowledge. Um, and how would the kids pick it up? These aren't things you just kind of, that, that just come to you, mm -hmm. right? You, you have mm -hmm. to be taught these things. So yeah, I think it's just like public speaking. I think it's undertaught in our schools. Um, and it's certainly not the teacher's fault. I think it's just kind of a, a little bit of a blind spot that's been there for a long time. And again, kind of shines a light on inequities. If you don't know these things, you're at a disadvantage, probably for the rest of your life mm -hmm. uh, and probably for your children. So unless we change that at some point and we level the playing field or at least give everybody an opportunity to see what's out there and how they can move forward in life and, and, and get ahead and provide for opportunity mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're really allowing kids to stay at a disadvantage and, and that's really not okay. Or just basically understanding the importance of saving for a rainy day because you never know when a pandemic might hit and all of a sudden you, that, that, what, what do they say? Three months worth of of, of your, of your um, salary you're supposed to have decked aside. In right. this case, that three months wouldn't have gone very far. Wouldn't have gone very far, and most didn't have it anyway, mm -hmm. uh, most of the, you know, the kids in my program. So, Chelsea, do you agree that um, it's somewhat understood that the parents are the ones teaching financial literacy, and, and how might programs uh, like Partners in Education help to supplement that? Well, I would say that there there have been efforts, and Partners is a part of that, to try to fill in this gap of, of this sort of lack of consistent programming that students are receiving across the board. 
We um, have been a part of conversations over the years uh, around financial literacy programming. And so about five or six years ago, we developed modules with the help of Montecito Bank and Trust, as well as an independent financial advisor by the name of Ann Hutchins. And we worked in collaboration with teachers. We gathered some information uh, from other from other banks and financial, just to see what was going on, just to see, to see what was already available, and developed modules on uh, that teachers said would be interesting to students. So we talked about budgeting, credit, and costs associated with buying a car because every high school student is, how do I get that <laughs> that access to, to freedom and, and, and keys to the car? So these modules were developed uh, with volunteer support. Volunteers were, were trained to deliver these modules. And then to Rob's point, it's, it's up to teachers to decide if they want to bring in these speakers mm-hmm. to do the series or do one, one lesson on their own. As you can probably imagine, this past year, we haven't received as many requests for this type of support. I think teachers have just been trying to get a grasp on virtual teaching. Mm-hmm. And to also, I would say that probably while it's so great we're talking about this, financial literacy isn't necessarily the top of mind thing right now because we're, we're just trying to get through this year. Mm-hmm. And while it is so important because if we're going into a time of crisis, we need to have this this type of teaching and understanding under our belts, it may not be the thing everybody's thinking about right now to, to improve upon or develop. So I'm just so glad you're having this conversation and asking us to to keep it a part of our our thoughts as we move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Melinda, as far as United Way goes, you've done a lot of work with financial literacy um, in addition to your literacy and other programs, um, particularly over the summer. Can you talk to us a little bit about... Um, what you see coming in the future with financial literacy in your programming? So we've been partnering with local banks for many years um, to provide financial literacy to our Fun in the Sun participants and their families. And so the kids learn um, in in different years. They might build a car, and then they learn about all of the costs associated with a car, and then it's a house, and then it's um, budgeting. And it's always applicable to real life, and I think that's important because if – Um, like Chelsea was saying, if you talk to a teenager about buying a car, they're interested in that. And Mm -hmm. so it makes sense. And then they want to learn about the insurance costs and they want to learn about a loan and and things like that. So I think the curriculum that we've been able to provide to the kids has been really impactful. Um, And for the parents as well. I mean, we we have a parent track with our Fun in the Sun program. So the parents um, must attend three parent um, classes throughout the duration of the program. And financial literacy is always part of it. But instead of us saying, oh, well, this would be good for you to learn. How about we learn about credit? We ask the parents, like, what is it that you want to learn about? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's it's navigating the banking world. Many yeah. of, our, of our families are underbanked. But a lot of the requests were about scholarships and financial aid for mm-hmm. college and understanding that. And so from that feedback, it helped us kind of respond through our other programming Um, So one example is through our Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. We recruit and train over 100 volunteers to become IRS-certified tax preparers. And so they prepare and file taxes for free throughout the the county. And so through that program, we were able to start putting out information about how important it is to file your taxes because now you can file a FAFSA and having workshops with parents and their high schoolers about filling out those applications and just how much money – and financial assistance goes unclaimed every single year. So it's it's nice to see how 
you know, one program can inform and, and enhance or modify other programs. And then looking forward in, into the year, I think what we've seen is that many families are in crisis mode and in survival mode, and, and there's been um, a lot of people who have found themselves out of work, housing instability, looking at homelessness for the very first time. And so our, our community is entering into a time of rebuilding. And so I think now is a perfect opportunity to start having these conversations about how to rebuild your finances, how to recover from this, because many families for the very first time have had to, to, to acknowledge that they don't have any savings anymore mm-hmm. or that they can't pay their mortgage or they can't pay their rent. And so it's in some ways it's leveled the playing field in that regard. And so you have people who are already vulnerable who, who are now really on, um, really at risk, and then you have people who are vulnerable for the first time. So I think it's a really good opportunity to start having those conversations about rebuilding and how to find stability once again. Fantastic. Um, so going back to Chelsea on kind of the same lines, it's interesting to me that over the last, I don't know, 10 years, I've, I've been in banking here in the Central Coast for about 30 years now. And the majority of that, I've been teaching in local schools, volunteering through all of your programs. And especially in something like Fun in the Sun, where it's six weeks seeing the same students for six weeks in a row, you get really inspired at the end of the six weeks. You can see that they're grasping onto what you're talking about. And um, I was teaching in my, she's she's now 13, but I was teaching in her fifth grade class a couple of years back. And um, they were going through a program through social studies where it was about, you know, the different jobs that you can have. So we did a game where they could roll dice and get a specific job that made a specific salary. And then they could pick from apartments and cars. And this is fifth grade, right? It's way earlier than what they want to see. But you could see them get so inspired by the idea and the vision. That's what I need to make in order to have the life that I want. How do you, Chelsea, see that spilling over into the families? Um, of the kids that are being supported through your programs? And, and do you see kind of the kids becoming the teacher? Absolutely. And I love that you, you bring that up because it, we all are talking about how it's important to get students exposed earlier to career paths and to get them thinking about, about things much earlier than you might have imagined. And so when it, when it comes to financial literacy, we get lots of different we get different feedback. Um, some volunteers will go in and do a presentation to a younger group of students and not think that they are as engaged because it isn't as applicable in that moment. And so it, it, I think it's how it's delivered is really important uh, for just to, to put that point out there is that it has to be applicable and relatable to mm-hmm. the age group for mm-hmm. sure. And we have noticed that for the students that participate in our modules, uh, these are designed for high school students. Right now, in addition to teachers being able to request them, we make it a a regular part of our internship programs, job readiness training. Mm -hmm. And these are students who are about to get a paid internship. They're about to start earning money. So it's a perfect pairing. It's consistently our most popular workshop because the students are just about to be earning money and, and want to figure out how to get on the right path. And we have heard stories from those students that after they've had these modules and had this this input from volunteers are then able to support their parents when financial questions come up. We had one young woman report back that her mom was in the market for a new car and she had not done this before and she was able to go with her mom to the dealership and ask questions because this volunteer who had, had spoken to her her group had had given these these great tips of what to look for and what to ask when you when you're going for your car. 
That is fantastic. Um, you know, and, and like you bring up, it has to be relatable. And what I found really interesting with the programming that you all are offering um, is your integration of STEAM uh, into a lot of this because it, it does, it connects the dots. We used to go in and just teach a class on financial literacy and we used a standard curriculum, um, you know, days and days ago. But now it's, um, you know, having the kids draw a cartoon about what they learned or maybe uh, we just participated in American Bankers Association um, Lights, Camera, Save campaign. And our winner went on to uh, national success. Uh, she was one of seven um, national winners. Uh, and she did a, a video on financial literacy. So I think it's really fun to watch that kind of um, enrichment of all of the curriculum through the STEAM principles. Because not everybody learns just through reading, reading a book. Um, and, and going to Rob, how do you how do you see um, the impact of financial literacy and how it might help support some of these families that are trying to make decisions about college or what's next for their their kids? Yeah, a couple different things. One, kind of going on what uh, Belinda was saying earlier about the college application process. Um, it's so again in Avid, we keep our kids for four years. So I get them in ninth in ninth grade when they're fourteen years old, just out of junior high. Um, I stay with them through probably their first relationship and very probably also their first breakup um, through driving and freedom, uh, the college application process. And really, kind of, they stay with us even beyond that. Why which isn't is awesome. this the model for all teachers? I think, <laughs> I think no, it's amazing. It is, it is great. I actually had uh, lunch a couple weekends ago. One of my avid kids that graduated in 2019 wanted to meet for lunch so I could approve of her current boyfriend. So oh. uh, which I did. He was great. Oh, good. Uh, but, did you run his credit? Uh, no. <laughs> I should have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, navigating that process, it's, it's not that the parents don't know the answers to the questions. They don't even know which questions to ask. Um, and it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's complicated. And I have an advanced degree. And each time I take a group through, man, it is challenging. And there's so many different points where there could be a roadblock uh, that would, really isn't that big of a deal, but is, mm-hmm. um, and kind of stops that process. And when you're used to not, I think, being a member of groups, that maybe the societal expectation isn't that high of you, mm-hmm. it's, it's really easy to default into that mode. So any way in which we can assist in that process and I do agree with Chelsea that why why don't we have kids for four years, for example, um, and build those kind of relationships? And and it gives also gives us time to do things like that. I can I can study financial literacy, or with my class that graduated in twenty nineteen, it was kind of when the Colin Kaepernick national anthem thing. So I decided, well, let's study protest in America. So for three years, we studied protest in America. Um, and really got more depth, which I find much more interesting, and I think kids do too. So the college application process is one, and the first time I started to put together kind of a financial literacy unit, I kind of noticed a need, so I put together this little unit where the kids were to pretend they were 25 years old, they'd been out of college for three to four years, they had a salaried job, uh, and they were to purchase a home and figure out the mortgage and all these different things, and all, all these expenses. So the, one of the first things we did, we just went on Zillow and we looked up Santa Barbara Real Estate. And uh, anybody find anything they like yet? And the first couple, yeah, yeah, Mr. Schiff, come, come, come look at mine. 
uh, Adrian, uh, that, that house is $42 million. <laughs> and he's like, but it's awesome, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Maybe you won't have that for your first house. Maybe somewhere down the road. Why don't you calculate that uh, monthly mortgage payment? So he does the calculation. $650,000 a month. That's doable, right? Wow. Um, wow. Maybe for your second job. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So it kind of, you know, a, a bell kind of went off like, wow, okay, we need to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went way too far into the future. Um, let's start with uh, what's a debit card, how to establish credit, things like that. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's as I said, it's just kind of a, a spot that I don't know why it has kind of always fallen through the cracks, I think. Um, but it has. And, and, and like Chelsea said, it's really nice that we start having those discussions about those kind of things and, and at least giving kids opportunity that they can take advantage of rather than like it's just something they never get um, and it's not their fault. And it's just really hard to get ahead. It's really hard to move forward generationally when you don't, when you have those like giant gaps of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember teaching at DP several years ago, um, and it was a basic class on budgeting and needs versus wants. And you start by asking questions of the of the group so that you can gauge, you know, who has what background and what knowledge. Um, so things like, you know, who has a summer job and, you know, maybe only half the people raise their hand. Um, who has a cell phone plan that their parents pay for? Just, you know, basic questions to try and gauge how different it is from child to child. Um, And then talking about needs versus wants. And I'll never forget having a conversation with this gal, a senior in high school, and she was about to be unleashed on the world. And she was arguing with me that her $40 bottle of shampoo was a need versus a want. And she couldn't have enough money with her take-home paycheck. And watching their faces as we... um, as we were looking at what a paycheck looks like and all the taxes that are taken out, to your point, not only are you paying for a mortgage, but you don't get all of that money in your take-home pay. It's really, really eye-opening for a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, Melinda, uh, now to you. How how do you see uh, financial literacy supporting the families um, in in the future? You know, to everyone's point, it's about um, looking at the goals um, of both the, the student and the parents and, and looking about how the community can support them to find the stability that they want. And I think, again, it's it's not about us thinking or knowing what's best for the family, mm-hmm. but they they have to be guiding the, the curriculum and, and they have to be an active participant. Because I've tried it before, where it's like, oh, this is a great class. Yeah. Come on down. Sign up. It'll be wonderful. And I get two people to arrive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, we were really fortunate to to have the parents be active in our Fun in the Sun program to tell us what they needed. Mm-hmm. And I think having that conversation is important so that all families um, feel that they're getting something from it and that, that some sort of stability can be achieved. For families, it's hard in this town. It's, it's not Absolutely. easy. It's a high cost of living, and yeah. you know the the jobs don't necessarily pay the same as what you see in places like San Francisco or LA. So, one final kind of closing question for you all, and we'll start with Melinda. How do you see um, financial literacy evolving, um, given that we just went through this pandemic, and you know we're obviously not going to be in schools tomorrow teaching about the importance of saving for the future when in some cases we're still in crisis mode. How do you see us changing some of our programming? Just perhaps um, looking at accessibility and how we can reach families and maybe 
the modalities changed, maybe um, the partners that um, wouldn't necessarily facilitate financial literacy, maybe they're the ones that are doing it now. You know, maybe it's after school programming. Maybe it's it's more of a collaborative where we can offer incentives for families to attend. We also have to remember that a lot of families are working multiple jobs, and so you know, doing it at six o'clock at night doesn't help everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is involving the the trusted partners in the communities where families are already going, where they already have a relationship, and then offering it there instead of having it, you know, one set time, one mm-hmm. set place, and you have to come to me. I think it, now it's time to go into the homes and, and reach families. And I think COVID's been great in the sense that we've had, we've been forced to explore Zoom mm-hmm. and, you know, in all these different ways to, to communicate with families. And so now's not the time to just leave it all behind mm-hmm. as we start to reopen, but, you know, keeping them as part of our practice so that we can reach people in, in a variety of ways. Fantastic. Now, Chelsea, one of the things that Melinda said earlier that I that really spoke to me was this idea of teaching people how to rebuild, um, which kind of changes the focus of some of these classes and how we do that. Um, how do you see financial literacy coursework changing in the future to meet the needs of families that have been through the, the last year and a half? Well, I think kind of combining things that I've heard from both Rob and Melinda so far is that one, um, to Rob's point, we don't talk enough about this. It's not something that students are, even us, I don't know that we would all say that we have grown up feeling really comfortable talking about money. We're, we're kind of taught that it's not polite. You know, we don't talk about how much we make. Mm-hmm. We don't. So how are students to come in having a realistic picture of what they need to make to live here? Mm-hmm. And so I think the more that we can all, uh, whenever we're developing classes or curriculum, involving the participants in the curriculum, Making it more collaborative and conversational is something that I know we're exploring. And I think all of us have had these kind of light bulb moments where we're, we're reimagining what we do and how we do it. And, and uh, for example, we just got a request from a local junior high to speak at a PTA meeting about financial literacy. So this isn't our normal way of doing things, mm-hmm. but we're coordinating a guest speaker and we're going to have a workshop that will be, uh, there'll be an interpreter there to help all families have access to this. And and that's a new way of delivering the content. Also with our Computers for Families recipients, they're coming to us for technical training, but in the in that process, we are establishing trust and relationships and we learn so much more about their situation. We know that a family member just lost a job. We know that a student's struggling uh, with a class and we're learning that we can deliver other types of resources to them outside of our normal, our normal service structure. So I think finding ways to partner with other organizations and just deliver this content in more creative mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So in short, I would say I don't know exactly because it keeps changing and I think that's a really good thing. That's fantastic. So Rob, what about you? As as we bankers are, are looking to get back involved and to get back into the schools and uh, to offer um, courses, how do you see that we can change those programs to better support your students? Well, I think everyone's right. It's not just a school effort. It's a community-wide effort. Um, and I, and I think the focus, like for kids at my program, they, their families kind of exist in terms of their financial world in a very short term world. Um, and that they just have to get their, they're getting by Mm -hmm. and we have to build in ways to combine that with long-term goals. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, over the last 
couple um, stretches with my avid kids. I've I brought in different financial planners, and um, they've been really good about creating kind of models for kids to follow in terms of like one of them's the uh, Jeff Forster uh, who works a couple of blocks from here actually, and he came in and he bought in he brought in a uh, a cup of coffee. He made the point that he could have got it at Starbucks, but he made it at home because it cost him 25 cents. And yeah, but the kids are like, yeah, but Starbucks is better. (laughs) Um, And so he extrapolated over, if you do that every day for a month, here's how much money that looks like. And just kind of seeing like long-term, like the the short-term decisions that have long-term consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we need to focus on that. One, one of the things that I thought of last time is um, when my students graduated in 2019, uh, brought in a financial planner, and every kid that was 18, we, we opened an individual retirement account for them or with them. And just the idea that putting 20 bucks away every mm-hmm. paycheck or whatever, like it's money you won't miss. And it's just, it's a different way of thinking. And it's hard to do that when you're 14. We just need to find ways to show the impact their decisions have on their lives Mm -hmm. and to envision a life that they want and then figure out a way to get there instead of just kind of day-to-day sort of really kind of lack of planning Mm -hmm. or at least um, lack of kind of vision. So any way that we can as teachers and we can as community members bring that kind of model to them Uh, I think it'd be great moving forward. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you all again for joining us today. Um, And thank you to those of you that are listening to our podcast. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the programs that we talked about in our last two podcasts, you can learn more about the AVID program by visiting sbunified.org backslash academics backslash AVID. For more information about Partners in Education, you can visit their website at Partners sbceo.org and to learn more about United Way of Santa Barbara go to unitedwaysb.org and of course if you'd like to learn more about American Riviera Bank uh, we do have financial literacy resources there on our website you can visit us at americanriviera.bank thanks again to everybody for listening 